right, we are back with another episode of 90s Noise, and today we have a very special guest. We are here with Kelly McNeil, who is a published author, and her first book, A Day Like This, came out in 2021, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to her before her sophomore book, May Luna, is released. It'll be available in stores and online on February 1st. So first, thank you so much for joining us today on 90s Noise, and would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about May Luna and what inspired you to write this novel? Oh, well, thanks so much for having me, first of all. This is so much fun. I love you guys. So this is, and I love everything 90s. So this is like so much fun. So yeah, May Luna is the story of uh, a legendary band who rose to fame in the late 90s, and their secret uh, connection to a mysterious woman that nobody knows about. And um, the woman's grown kids discover a photo of the band with their mother in an old magazine in a box of mementos. And that starts the story of this retrospective look back. And we hear both from the lead singer of the band, whose name is Carter Wills, and the woman, Evie Waters. And they are telling the tale of what happened to them to bring them together, the impact she had on the band, and what ultimately brought them together again later in life. And um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. It has a lot of mystery in it um, in terms of mysterious. There's a little bit of magic in it, a little bit of magical realism. It has, um, a, there are themes of this, of space and time and sort of like celestial magic woven through it and that really talks about how this connection was um, really just faded in the stars. So I feel like that you guys have read it. So I'm not sure if I did. Did I do it justice? Did that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, okay, that definitely, definitely felt magic. I know I did mm-hmm. while reading it. And it was, it was, I'll be honest, I, uh, I was, while I was at work, I'm like, I want to, I want a few seconds to where I can, I can finish this chapter. <laughs> I, I was getting a little distracted with work and wait for my lunch hour so I could re- get an hour in of reading of it, reading it to just see where it went next. That's a good compliment. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal with each chapter. <laughs> and it is fun because it does keep it alternating since it does go back and forth between them. Um, I think it gives a little bit more momentum to the story because you get to hear from both perspectives. We wanted to ask you about that. What, what was the decision behind that of giving the perspective from both Carter and Evie? So actually that's a really great question that nobody's asked me yet and has a good story behind it because I actually wrote May Luna back in 2012. So this is an older book. This was the first book I ever wrote. It was the first story I wrote. Um, and it was this, I knew Carter and Evie came to mind and the whole band right away. But um, when I first wrote the finished draft, I wrote the, I wrote the draft in a few months. I immediately signed off on with my literary agent, which was fantastic. But the original story was told entirely from Evie's perspective. Um, so we kind of did some rewrites on it and some editing as happens. And then ultimately we kind of sh- shelved that idea while I started working on a second book. And that was the book, A Day Like This, which we ended up publishing first. 
But then I, I like could not let go of this story of Carter and Evie. They just, in the whole band, all of the characters, it was just such a good story. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I think that what might make it better is to rewrite it and to add in Carter's perspective. So the trouble with that was that I had to leave a lot on the cutting room floor then, because in order to make room for his part of the story, I had to, you know, kind of make some really tough edits, which was excruciating. (laughs) But ultimately, the book was much better for it. So yeah, that's what I just felt like it was so the the book is so much in Evie's head and it's her she's telling the story of how she experienced everything that she went through through the lens of somebody who had had a very difficult childhood and felt a lot of rejection and abandonment and when you kind of go through childhood that way you see life and you do life through that lens and it can be very hard to let that go And so I realized that by telling it entirely through her perspective, we weren't getting the complete picture. We needed to see why this felt so magical and how the rest of the members of the band felt about her. And when I think that just took it to the next level. And now I'm so glad that it it wasn't published early on because it became such a better story. And then, so now we get, because we not only get Carter's perspective, but we also get the the other members of the band. So um, yeah, ultimately that's the story of how that, that was, that decision was made. Okay. You were talking about how it, it only took a couple of months to write this. In your acknowledgments, you did mention that there was a song that kind of inspired that. Would you mind letting us know what song that was? I, I, that is some, I think that's a secret I'm going to take to the grave. Okay. I've been getting that question a lot, and it, <laughs> but it's a very, very, it's very, very true. I had two babies at the time. Well, my okay. one daughter was in preschool and we were driving. I had this really long drive home from her preschool. It was like, we lived in a very rural area at the time. And I, this song came on and I've always been really moved by music. I worked in the music industry. I, I was, I loved music growing up. So I think a lot of us have that um, kind of connection to music and to a song that just immediately puts you back into a certain situation. But anyway, the song came on and it's like maybe a four minute song. And as it was playing, everything, it just, it just all sort of appeared. And then that was it. And, you know, so yes, as, as far as the song goes and kind of the reason I want to keep it quiet is because I want people to make it their own you know I had this woman send me a playlist that she had made of the book and I'm actually about to publish a like publicly put out the playlist for the book um but she had made her own which I absolutely loved and it was so different than what I would have how I envisioned it but that was perfect because I want everybody to make that music whatever it is to them so that's why I won't talk about it (laughs) That's exciting. I can't Uh, wait to hear the playlist, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Totally respect that. And that's what we were wondering. We were wondering if that was going to be one that you kept kept close to heart, which is is great to keep that also. Mm -hmm. Something that's still yours. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Carter and the band, what made you choose to go with the, um, like a more of an English rock band versus an American one, um, especially being set in the 90s? 
Yeah, that was a very careful choice because so, you know, this is a 90s podcast, so I can talk about this with people who are going to understand what I'm talking about. Um, but in the late 90s, bands and music was like this really testosterone heavy music, right? I mean, we had like Woodstock 99 happening around this Ooh, time. Yeah, it's... It was such an aggressive music scene in the late 90s. We had come from the, from the early and mid 90s of this, you know, angsty alternative rock, but then it kind of morphed into something just really aggressive. At the same time, that was all going on in America, but at the same time around 98, like 97, 98, 99, in Britain, they were starting to come up with like this Brit pop inspired alternative rock. And that's when we started to get bands like Snow Patrol and Radiohead, right? And we had tra uh, bands like um, Travis coming up. And these were really big bands in, in Britain and obviously worldwide. But I wanted to put Mayluna in that vein and I wanted it to be such an, such like, I wanted to give it a sharp delineation and oh and Coldplay of course too was the late 90s right so these are very heartfelt angsty and it's not the Coldplay of today it's the Coldplay of the late 90s which was this great angsty emotion-filled alternative rock sound and that's where I wanted to place May Luna and so when they come to America in 98 they're like are we going to be accepted or are we not? And part one, you know, a few of the scenes that got left on the cutting room floor are of them coming into the festival circuit in the late nineties and doing things like having to be alongside these hard like bands and going, I don't know. I, you know, Carter's this like sensitive, soulful person writing this angsty music and, and um, yeah, it was really fun to, but that's why I made that choice because I needed them to not be from America because otherwise it really, there wasn't a lot of that kind of music coming out of America at the time. And that's, and those bands had a huge impact on what happened to music in the early 2000s. Oasis was one of them. We had oh, Muse, yes. like, yes, you know, a lot of really good music coming out of there. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, kind of talking about the music side of your book, there are lyrics that are associated in certain chapters. Do you have like a full song to those? Do you have like a full lyric lyrics written um, to those songs that you, there's little snippets of the lyrics that we see in the book? Uh, I, I'm curious about because I've been I mean heck music is how Ashley and I connected at a concert and so I've always been big in on lyric side of things and so seeing the different lyrics you had in the book I'm just curious do you have a full song with those lyrics or was it just like the snippets of those those uh, that lyric I do I do have full songs yeah, I do. And they, I didn't need, I knew I wasn't going to need them because I felt like to put the entire song in would be sort of, it would take people out of the story too much. Mm -hmm. And so what I did is picked out a few lines here and there that would help for, you know, help like push the story along and, and, and contribute something to the story without it just being fun, you know, kind of extra information. And so 
Yeah, I may do something with those lyrics at some point in time. I I do have this sort of stack of fun extras that I think people are going to start to want to take a look at. So eventually I'll put them out there maybe. But yeah, I did. It was fun. It was a fun exercise for me. I'm not a lyricist. I'm not a songwriter. I love music, but it's not something that I do. So it was definitely a, a challenge for me. <laughs> but it was one I really enjoyed. Oh, loved loved the snippets that we got in the book. Oh, thanks. That means a lot because, like like I said, that's not my thing. So I really I really appreciate that. Besides doing that, but do you feel like there was another part of writing this novel that was really difficult for you? So yeah, the um, as I mentioned, leaving so much on the floor after that when I when I did the rewrite, that was very difficult because that was just like. There were so many really good scenes. They really were. And but I knew that they just weren't absolutely necessary. So I felt like that was very difficult. Um, but also the format of the book was really challenging for me. So I um the book has a really um unusual structure in terms of time. Um it has this dual, it has dual perspectives, it has a dual timeline that is very unconventional and takes some unusual twists and turns. And then on top of it, it has multiple um, points of view. So, and like the voice changes throughout. So it was this very complex thing I had to map out and hope that I would take the reader on this journey in the way I was imagining it to go without kind of revealing too much or losing them along the way. And that was very complex for me. and took a lot of thought, but I had done something very similar with my first book, A Day Like This. It also has um, an unconventional time structure. Uh, So it wasn't new to me. This was a skill I had developed with that book, but this kind of takes it to a different level. And I just was like, if I can pull this off, it will be something because I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And so there were nights where at two o'clock in the morning, I was looking at the looking at it and everything just sort of started to spin in my head going, okay, wait, I need to get this together. How is this all working out? Um, so yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely a writing challenge. I think it worked beautifully, honestly. Thanks. It, it truly did. I, I feel like I was watching it and mm. immersed in that, which for me, a good book is one that I, I see in my mind while I'm reading mm-hmm. it and this one it was it was just playing in my mind and I loved it and like I said earlier I couldn't put it down so that was good. <laughs> now uh is there anything about yourself that you learned from writing this novel specifically you know it was a really emotional book to write I won't it's I think it's pretty much out there at this point that this is a really intense tearjerker I don't think that's a secret, you know, um, and so emotionally, it definitely took its toll, uh, you know, and I was diving into well, some of the fun parts of it. We're diving into old memories I had from working in the music business in the 90s and in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And so that was fun to digest, you know, to kind of revisit those time that time in, in my life. But I would say that the lesson that I learned from it um, and, and kind of the message that I would hope people would take from it after reading it, because it is a difficult journey to go on and you kind of have to be, you know, it, it takes a toll on you emotionally to read this book 
and it really did to write it as well. But I think that it taps into this universal desire that we all have to just feel that kind of intensely deep love and connection. And that if you are fortunate enough to have that, that it also can be very tragically flawed. And that despite that, there can be a lot of light at the end and you can still move on and find a lot of hope. So that's the message that sort of came through to me as I was writing it. And also the one that I hoped readers might take away from it. And it's funny because I've been getting emails from readers who some of the early readers are getting a hold of it. And I've gotten messages from women in their, I kid you not, like late eight, late seventies, early eighties who are reading this and saying, this reminded me of a time in my life that I thought I'd forgotten. And it, you know, and it brought such light back to a situation where I had once felt regret, you know, and then I just got an email from a woman um, in her twenties who had lost somebody and lost this love in her life. And she was like, I don't know how I'm going to move on from this, you know, and we've all been there, right? We've all, like most people have been there at some point in time, had this like horrible heartbreak or something. And she said, you know, I'm going to be able to, I feel like it gave me a little bit of hope in looking at the the joys in life. And it was a really long answer to say, I hope that's what people find from it. And that's what I found from it too, in writing it, just finding a little bit of light and hope and second chances after a very difficult series of events. Yeah, I found it very relatable. Like a lot of great themes of like people come into your life for certain reasons and they leave your life and, and just things like that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I found like a way to connect with, you know, especially Evie and the things she was going through. Did you feel like you relate to any of the characters in Maymuda at all? I think I relate. It's funny. I I do because as an author, you can, if you, if you, if you're reading a book, you can usually see some of the author in, in the book, even though it's not autobiographical, it is, there's just elements of my personality woven through it. Um, so I relate to Evie because, um, she's a mom. She has a personality that is not a whole lot unlike my own. Um, but I relate to Carter a lot because all of his theories and uh, on the interconnectedness of the universe and the way he imagines the possibilities of life and the way things are orchestrated and the, the energy that's around you and all of that, those are things that I actually have studied myself. Um, and so I brought a lot of those studies into the book and that's actually how I tend to be inspired when I'm writing is that I'll be reading, I read a lot of nonfiction and both of my books have elements in them that were very much inspired by just like either documentaries I was watching at the time or um, self-help books, self-improvement books. It, there's a lot of that kind of thing woven into my stories and um, there probably always will be because it's just like what I'm interested in and, and the podcasts that I tend to listen to a lot and I don't know it. So, yeah, I think in that way, there's little bits of me in, in both of those characters. So speaking of having little bits of you and the characters, I notice on certain there's certain scenes in the book where um, Evie talks about other experiences she had with other artists like Steven mm -hmm. Tyler, for example, 
Mm-hmm. Were any of those your personal experiences with those artists working in the music industry? Or were that was that just ones that you had seen maybe in the documentaries you were talking about? Those were real. <laughs> and you're the first person to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, they're not all real, but most of them are. So I won't necessarily say which ones were true and which ones weren't but I can say that the like nine out of ten of them kind of thing were things that I pulled from my own life (laughs) I wonder if you called it (laughs) they were fun they were fun little easter eggs to drop in there but that was you know it was kind of fun so here's a fun question if if May Luna were to be turned into like a movie or a tv show who do you envision to play Carter and Evie I don't have them in mind yet. I don't. Yeah. It's funny. We're working on the film for a day like this. And I've been going over this question for that. And it's funny because it's very similar. I'm like, I, I don't know. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody there, there in my mind, there's such an amalgamation of several actors and actresses that, um, I can see, like, I can, I, I can see them visually and like physically what they would look like, but I mean, there are like a lot of really cool male actors out there right now who I think could probably pull this off. You know, the the trick is that we're spanning multiple decades with these characters. And so they have to, there's an age progression happening. But I think, you know, that's been, that, that can be handled. But in terms of like, I just feel like we've got a really cool group of young actors out there right now that I think could, could pull it off. <laughs> Absolutely. What about you guys? Um, did you did you guys envision anybody in particular? Like who was your, you know, who was your rock star? Who is your Carter? So I could see somebody, I kind of, I don't know, for me personally, uh, Carter kind of felt very, unfortunately he wouldn't be able to do it, um, but Heath Ledger almost. Oh, that would have been good. And, yeah. um, I and like that Good. that that had popped into my head like just mm-hmm. especially his character in the um 10 things I hate about you yeah it, it had a very mm-hmm. Carter feel to it when looking back um mm-hmm. and then for Evie I was seeing more um oh my gosh it's gonna drive me crazy I can I can picture their face but their name is just escaping me, right? <laughs> Ashley, did you see somebody? Did, were you seeing people in your mind? Maybe once you you <laughs> disclose, I might. I no, I did not. I I was picturing the like you were saying, picturing the book as like seeing the stuff. But I have a hard time like putting faces. Like I don't know. I just don't do like the faces mm-hmm. of people. I just kind of envision like an outline and just all of that. So no, I don't have anyone in mind. <laughs> You're, That's how Ashley's I read too. Yeah, Ashley's gonna like shoot me with this one, um, because like the face I was envisioning was either like either um, Jennifer Lawrence or Elizabeth Olsen for Abby. Ooh. Oh yeah. Oh, actually, I could see Elizabeth, oh, Elizabeth Olsen, oh. and mm. oh. it was kind of like a mesh of the two. Like that's just, good. Mm-hmm. And because I'm 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 a very 
music person and movie person. Um, mm -hmm. Like I'd actually myself had been a tour manager in the mid 2000s. And okay, so cool. I, that's, a, that's why I think I, I really delved into this book because I, mm -hmm. I felt such a connection with the Evie um, on some of the more like behind the scenes experiences and everything. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's why, like I said, like my, my brain, I'm like seeing that and I'm just playing out and yeah, like Heath Ledger would have been great for Carter. And then, yeah, Liz, Elizabeth Olsen for cool. Abby so I like it I approve <laughs> um, so kind of doing a little bit of a uh rotation we also want to talk about your background because I am like I just said I'm very interested in your background being in the music industry and one of those one of the questions I always like to ask when you were traveling, did you have a favorite place that you went to, like a favorite venue or um, a favorite location? So I was a regional person, so okay. I would handle things that were coming into the region as opposed to traveling around, so I wasn't on the road. Um, but it's funny because I, if I had to pick a favorite, it would be a venue that is in the town where I grew up. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. And there was this like really iconic arena there. I think it held, it held about 18,000 people. And I used to go to concerts there whenever I was growing up. And that's when I started, when I would go to these shows, I would be kind of like off the side of the stage and I'd be watching the people in the background. And I think that is like, what I want to do. It just, it just looked so cool to me to be part of that experience. So flash forward, I ended up working with a promoter who was running all of the venues in, in Pittsburgh. And then I also like moved to North Carolina for a while and it was kind of like a Northeast situation. But anyway, um, I ended up going back to that venue and working there later in life. And I did a lot of shows there, like a lot. And it was really so satisfying because every time I was backstage there, I would kind of like look up to the seats where I had been sitting the first time I was ever at a show. And I think I was like nine or something. And I'd be like, oh, you know, so I, that was my favorite, which I know isn't the sexiest answer because, you know, you want it to be like, oh, it's this great place. You know, this what town was it? But honestly, it was like, more of an emotional connection and seeing that the realization of a of a dream I had had years earlier. Oh, I love that answer. And that venue isn't there anymore. They they um yeah, like a couple years after I left, they actually tore that place down. And they this place had had like the Beatles and Elvis and Zeppelin and all of them. I mean, this was an iconic part of music history as was the promoter that had who I became very like closely involved with they had been the one to bring in all of these amazing acts over the years and then so when they tore this place down it was like a big piece of music history was was going and I actually my mom for Christmas that year bought me a um like a, a piece of the roof <laughs> and that she had turned into a bookmark oh yeah, my gosh so that cool. is great mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is an awesome bookmark it is, yeah. Do you remember the first concert that you went to there? It's the same as Evie's. It's Neil Diamond. 
Yeah, it was the that was a little thing I dropped in there. It was another little Easter egg, and it was, and it's funny because it's so easy, like depending who you're talking to, somebody could either like, like the character of Alex in the book, just like totally make fun of you, or like Carter and Fred be like, "That was so awesome! What a great answer!" And so it completely depends on what your personal opinion is and what your personal experience. Has been with Neil Diamond. <laughs> For me, it was pretty great. I grew up liking the music that my mom listened to, though, and my daughters are the same. They're growing up listening to the music that I love. So, uh, yeah, it was Neil Diamond. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, when when did you start writing and knowing you wanted to write your books? So, I was always a writer, and I and that was always a second aspiration, but. You know, when you're growing up and you are telling people what you want to do for a living, especially in an environment where everybody's choosing very sensible careers, it's not, it feels very far-fetched to be able to say, to say, like, I want to be a writer when I grow up. I want to be a novelist. But I was this voracious reader and I loved writing stories. I have like loads of notebooks and journals like this tall from when I was maybe like eight or nine and I wrote them all through my teen years and I would write short stories and things like that. But I, I also did a lot of just like writing in my job, press releases and just like that sort of thing. So it was always a part of who I was, but I knew that at some point in my life I was going to want to, to really start doing it in earnest. And I had just had my kids. I have two daughters and it just kind of worked out. I was staying home with them. I had left my old career and I had a lot of time on my hands for like sort of as much as you can have when you've got two young kids at home <laughs> I mean it felt like a little bit I just had more space I won't call it time I'll have I'll say I had more like bandwidth more emotional space to be able to put myself in touch with that part of myself that could write and so yeah I just sat down the same day of that I heard that song and started writing and um, it just came right out. So, and then I said, okay, this is now, this is now going to be my, my new career because I knew I wasn't going to work in the music business um, long-term after I had my kids. It's very difficult. You're out till, you know, two o'clock in the morning and so many, you know, like over the weekends. And I just didn't, it wasn't, people do it and I'm sure they do it well, but it wasn't something that I thought I could do well in terms of how I wanted to, be with my kids so it was a good opportunity to to change careers midstream which is scary but it worked so here I am <laughs> do you remember some of your favorite books growing up yeah so it's funny I like when you grow up in the, and you guys will relate to this when you grow up in like the 80s and 90s particularly the 90s we like our moms all had these like, wicker stands or something with books on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. yes. In every episode of the Goldbergs and 90210, like there's always the wicker stand in the mom's house. Yes. With you know, sometimes it has a stereo on it or like whatever. Anyway, it has, so we had the wicker stand in the 90s house. And it was completely full of books. And, you know, it was a different time. We didn't have Kindles. We didn't have the internet. So I just read whatever was on her bookshelf. And, you know, I don't remember what they were. It was a, for her, I think she read a lot of 
romance and, and such. But anyway, there was an author, um, there is an author, her name is Jude Devereaux. And I remember when I was 19, maybe 19 or 20, I read a book by her called Remembrance. And it is like an, it's, it is a romance novel, but it's kind of unconventional and it's all about past lives and it, like the effect of karmic like karmic connections on people and um the way you carry that energy throughout multiple lifetimes and I remember my I was just like this is the best thing I have ever read up until that point of course but you know you're asking like what some of them were back then and so I remember just being like really entertained by this book and I read it twice and I think it had it had an impact on the way the kinds of stories I wanted to tell. It's also very tragic. There's a lot of tragedy in it. It's very like angsty, and um, has a little bit of that magic in it that I love to include in my books. And so I think it just sort of planted this little seed of what I wanted to write eventually. And then I've always just been really attracted to tragic love story movies you know my mom's favorite movie was the way we were which is like like you just want to die by the end of watching that movie it's so sad it's heart-wrenching and it you know it, it sort of stands the test of time in that way um so yeah I remember that book being having having a pretty big impact on me when I was about 19 and then of course I loved the classics which is where I think you have to you, you have to love the classics if you're going to try to be a good writer if you if you have any aspirations of being a good writer you have to like really love at least a few of the classics and so I always had a good stack of them on my own wicker shelf which was also in my room that looked a lot like the, the backgrounds I'm seeing here on this podcast <laughs> you know and I'm pretty sure that was a color scheme in my room it was like turquoise and purple obviously <laughs> yeah hey 90s had some very interesting color schemes, that's for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think we also went through a tropical phase, too. There was, a, there was a whole time there where everybody was really into Southwest or tropical colors. So I think my room got switched over from the purple and turquoise to the beach vibe. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> pastel sunsets and things. Oh, man. Love that. So with your book being having a lot of music influence we gotta know we're 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 big fans of the 90s who is your favorite band or artist from the 90s oh that's a great question so I loved and this is not a huge band here in the states but I loved Primal Scream they're a great band and they just didn't quite pick up here like they did elsewhere, but they were just like a great band. Um, I also loved Radiohead. I mean, God, when I hear Creep, I still feel like I'm breaking up with my high school boyfriend. Like, it's just <laughs> heartbreaking. So I love So I still love Radiohead. Um, they were probably one of my favorites of the, of the mid 90s. Yeah. And um Duran Duran had a good resurgence in the mid nineties too. Um, I had not been known about them that much earlier. I mean, I had heard of them, but I remember when they came out with a great album and I want to say like 93 or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you guys might know better than I do, but it was like 
just such a good album. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I that being a big, you know what I'm talking about? I think, I think I Ordinary know. World was on yes, it. with the one with Ordinary World. Yes. Yes. Oh, we, great we, album. We spoke with uh, the music video director. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. For that. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. That's a great yeah. video. Yes. It, it will. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a great video. Great. Duran Duran's you you can't go wrong with them either mm-hmm, <laughs> that's for sure mm-hmm. yeah so I see you got your piano in the background you got a piano in the background oh yeah and then mm-hmm. uh is that a cello that's a cello and then yeah yes mm-hmm. um so do you play or is that uh your kids or your husband so who plays and who plays those it's a very musical family um we so the piano is mine i have had it since i was 13 and i take it with me everywhere i go which has not always been easy but is like whatever so uh and so i still play and my daughters play as well um and then the cello behind me is my daughters i do not play that and then we've got two guitars one of which is almost always being played that's my older daughter the other one is mine I'm a terrible guitar player but I do it anyway because it's fun and um yeah so there's like sometimes it's all happening at once <laughs> but not in this magical like Von Trapp family kind of way but just like a cacophony you know <laughs> but it's it's a nice thing so yeah we all it's 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 funny because my daughters were raised backstage at concerts they had like the big headphones that they would wear and whatever. And they did not have any interest in that lifestyle at all. Any interest in any part of theater or concerts, which we thought was funny, you know, until just about a couple of years ago when they both started to realize that it was a pretty cool thing. And now they both love music, like such a relief. <laughs> you know. So what does the word May Luna mean to you? Because you use it as the band. It's the title of the book. I don't, I didn't Google. I don't know if it's like actually a word, but like, how did you come up with that? Mm-hmm. Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's a completely made up name. Um, it's a made up word. And uh, so in the, in the book, and this is not a spoiler to reveal, it's just part of, it's a little side story that's in the book. When Carter was a boy, he had this experience where he saw this very strange occurrence in the night sky where there was a moon like a half like a crescent moon and inside the crescent moon was a twinkling star so it was kind of like the moon was transparent and this is actually a true story um that i found again watching documentaries and reading about this sort of thing and i this strange thing was actually reported in uh, at the greenwich observatory in london outside of london in the 1700s all of these people saw it, this thing this happen right and it was this really weird experience that they've documented but nobody was ever able to say what it was or why it appeared that way there really like wasn't any reason we don't have satellites and at that time and whatever so i took that little story which i just thought was such a neat story i mean who knows what it really was but it was something kind of fun and i put it in the book and so i have him seeing that and it in at that same moment evie who is at the same age sees it in New York and while she's like then they're both with their moms and they're both looking up in the night sky and they both see this and in he starts to hear music in his mind and that's when he starts to become a musician 
in that moon, that experience of them both seeing this moon um, and the music coming to them um, happened in the month of May when they were just little kids. And so he was so, it, it, it changed the trajectory of his life and gave him the dream of becoming a musician and finding this girl. And yeah, so it happened in the month of May and it was all about the moon. And so I tried to figure out a way that could, we, I could craft a band name out of that and it turned into May Luna. I like that story. I do too. I love that. We just found, we, we sold it. This is, um, we just sold the Italian translation um, of May Luna. And I don't know if they're going to keep the same name or if they won't, because it's a, it's an Italian, you know, Luna is Italian. So yeah. I don't know. I'll be curious to know if they're going to just hold on to May Luna or if they're going, you know, sometimes they change the name. So yeah, I'll be curious would, to see. That would be very curious. Now with mm -hmm. the, with May Luna coming out February 1st, are you going on uh, any book tours or anything of that to where people would be able to maybe meet you in person and talk to you in person or hear you reading the book? I don't know if that's still a thing after COVID and all that, but um, is that something that you yourself are interested in doing or possibly already have scheduled for this book? So a lot of those book tours did they, and it's such a sad thing, but they did start to go away after COVID. And, and so authors aren't seeming to do them as frequently. So they, they definitely still happen. I don't have any plan. We're doing all of ours virtual for this book right now, but I, I actually just had this conversation yesterday with my publisher because I, you know, we were thinking like, okay, how can we get, I would love to be in person and, and having the opportunity to, to meet readers so I don't know the answer to that right now, but it is in the works. We just haven't got anything planned that's not virtual, but I do plan to do some Q&As and such on my social media, some live Q&As and things like that, so I can connect with readers at least that way in the meantime. That's wonderful. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about May Luna at all? Um, I, I think that, you know, it's a it, it, it's a love story. It's not really a romance in the traditional way. It's not being sold as a romance, but I think it had when you first read the description, it sounds very romantic and it sounds like a romance and it most certainly has those elements in it, but it's more of a it's a love story, um, but it has it's a very complicated love story and it I think it's going to really appeal to people who love music. It's yes, it's set in the music industry, but if you are somebody who just feels very moved by music um, or just loved going to concerts and feeling that like the energy, I mean, you guys were saying, you, you know, you met at a concert and it like some people just really come to life in that environment. And if you are one of those people, you are probably going to love this book because I feel like that's something that I very much hoped to capture and I think I did so um yeah I would say that's what I would want people to know like don't necessarily be turned off if you're somebody who loves romance you'll probably like it if you're someone who doesn't love romance you might still like it <laughs> yeah it's kind of its own its own it's its own genre a little bit I, I will have to say romance is not necessarily my favorite genre of mm -hmm. books but this one, I personally, for any reader out there, 
that's listening, you're going to love it. Even if romance isn't a big thing for you. Because I, like, like I said, personally for me, romance has not always been like a forefront. Like if I had to, if I had like a romance novel and like an adventure novel, I'm going to go with the adventure novel. But I feel Mm -hmm. like this has so much of both of those, honestly, even though it's not the like sci-fi adventure type, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a more realistic adventure. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, it's a great way of saying it. I, I love that. And it, it really, I feel, encompasses all aspects of life. And I think I can't give you enough praise on this book. Like, I oh. I truly did really love it. Like, last night I was finishing it and I didn't want it to be over. But again, as we discussed, the ending was, was, was wow. <laughs> but... I I truly I have to say it's this is definitely one that I will be highly recommending to any and everybody that I can send it to. That's for sure. Oh, that's a great that's such a compliment. I I mean, really thank you. I they are so far people are responding really well to it and so I hope that everybody feels the same way. <laughs> that would be great. This is just a quick little this and that, this or that question that I have for you. Okay. Since, okay. since you're a music person, have done a lot of the music ones, I'm always curious. On type of shows, concerts, do you personally prefer general admission or seated? Arena seated. <sighs> I'm curious. This is just a little like I, little I question prefer for you. seated. I do. I do. I, I don't think, and it's funny because I've been to some shows that I absolutely love or I've, I've had to go to general in, in general admission and it's just like so distracting to me um, that I can't get into it as much. And yeah, I love a good seat, just please. Maybe I'm just too old for it. I, I don't know, but I don't think so because I felt like that when I was like 20. So yeah, seats. <laughs> I Hey, I completely <laughs> understand. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So to wrap everything up, I think we are just curious. Do you have anything else in the works? Anything that maybe will be coming after May Luna? Uh, yeah. So uh, there's always something. There's always something in the pipeline. Um, I have a superstition about my work. I don't talk about what it is I'm working on. I know a lot of um, writers. They like workshop things, or they have partners, that, writing partners, or they're sharing online each step of the way. I'm the complete opposite of that. My family did not even know I was writing another book <laughs> until I just said my, like my best friend, I called her up one day. I said, Hey, I've got a new book. And she's like, what are you talking about? So I don't, um, I, yeah, so I'm sort of superstitious that way. So I don't talk about it too much. Um, but I will say I am always actively writing and working on the next thing. Um, as mentioned, we're also doing some film work. So that's a big project in itself and something I'm really having fun with. So those those two things are definitely keeping me busy for a while. Any mm-hmm. uh, concerts you really wanna go see this year? Anybody in particular? Yeah, I don't even know what concerts are coming up, but I love a, I don't know. I love a good rock concert. I mean, I do. I saw 21 Pilots in concert like about a year ago, I think it was. They were fantastic, amazing live. Um, really, yeah, they were a good one. Of course, we did era. We did the eras tour. So, you know, I have two teenage girls. It was like 
that needed to happen. So we did Taylor Swift, um, which was like unbelievable. So that's awesome. I also would love to see, there are a couple people that who are on the playlist. I think they're on my playlist for me, Luna. Oh no, they're on the writing playlist. So I had two playlists. One was the one that I'm putting out publicly that is kind of like may luna inspired music and it, it like tells it sort of is inspired by the story of the book but i have a separate playlist that i used while i was actually writing it and a lot of that is instrumental music or um sort of like singer songwriter music that you can write to a little bit more easily and there is an artist by the name of Yoop beving he is an amazing pianist and i would love to see him live and there's another um, musician by the name of Rue Paines. He has this piece, does, he's this beautiful singer songwriter. And, um, I think they're both going to be touring this year. So I'm hoping to see them in very kind of cool, uh, eclectic little venues somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be in North America or the UK, probably the UK, but we'll see. Hopefully I'm, so, I'm very much hoping to get, to get to see them. Well, I think we are going to wrap it up. So thank you again so much, Kelly, for speaking with us here at 90s Noise. It has been so much fun. It was such an honor speaking with you and getting to talk about May Luna and you sharing all of your inspiration behind it, for sure. So just want to remind everyone, you can get your hands on a copy of May Luna February 1st, out everywhere. Thank you so much, guys. This was fun. It's a nice conversation. I love anybody who loves the 90s. I mean, really, <laughs> can't go wrong. <laughs> Best decade. Well, thank you again so much, Kelly. And to our listeners, we'll see you next time.